Hey, welcome back to Rebel Movement Podcast. My, I'm Billy. My pronouns are they, them, or she, her. And I specialize in teaching anti-diet, queer, safe, trauma-informed yoga and movement and one-on-one coaching. I've talked about this topic before. I think it's been kind of um, knitted in with a few potentially a few episodes um but definitely the how to ditch diet culture series that i did a little bit ago i've talked about it on my instagram a bit so some of this might if you've been around for a bit this might be repeating but i really want to be direct about this topic and i really want to be clear with it because it's something that comes up with my clients all the time and it's that it's essentially a um, answer or reaction to the phrase, I don't know, I just can't seem to find the motivation to exercise. I can't find the motivation to continue movement or to be regular with my yoga practice. I can't seem to keep stick with it. I am, oh, I'm just lazy. Oh, I just can't find the motivation. I, whatever. Like there's so many different types of the same type of phrase and it's blaming yourself for not being able to be, um, be regular with your practice or something. Um, and there's a couple of things I want to pick apart with this. And I, um, I'll say before I forget that the anti diet or the how to ditch diet culture four part series that you should have to just scroll like once and maybe once and a half to find it. Um, if this is your jam, if this is a message that you've like needed to hear, start with those series after this, like that, those four episodes, um, because I really do go into, I go into um, steps that I take with my clients um, with you. And if you, um want to do this work more we can it's um a lot of what I do is with one-on-ones is do a lot of this work um oh and one thing before I forget too uh is a little correction a couple weeks ago in the second teeny sode I refer to an episode about um being like a mindful meditation episode where you're checking in with your body like a body scan I made a mistake that actually is the episode after so you may not have noticed, I think I do still do a bit of a body scan in the first teeny sode, but just in case you're confused, I just accidentally put them out in the wrong order. <laughs> so there, there you go. Um, okay, so back to the topic of this motivation thing. So I'm gonna, I was going to say, I need you to really listen to this, but I hate that phrasing because it implies that you're not, <laughs> you're not listening. But I, what I mean is that this is gonna, might hit different layers of you. Um, it might be, it might bring up feelings. It might um, be triggering. So you do with that with like what you will, if you are not in a mood, if you're in like a bit of a tricky mood with eating disorder stuff right now, like maybe come back to it when you feel more grounded. Uh, you can take notes, you can come back to it, you can ask me questions, whatever you think might be the most helpful. Um, because as I've said before, diet culture is really fucking 
sneaky. It's like tree roots. It goes deep and it connects to so many things and so many different areas of our life. So it is possible that you'll hear, hear this, you'll, you know, reflect on it. And then a little while later, you'll reflect on it and realize, oh, there's another area of my life that this connects to. Okay. So for the purposes of this podcast episode, let's just use the phrase, like, I don't know what's wrong. I can't find the motivation to be regular with my movement practice, like that idea. Um, There's a couple points in this that I would like to zero in on. The first thing is this idea that us not moving our body on a regular basis is morally wrong. Um, In an ideal world, everything would be, I mean, for some people, I should say, for some people in an ideal world, everything would be, um, you know, like, I don't know, regular basis or things would be like pretty grounded. You know, emergencies wouldn't come up sometimes. Um, Our schedule might be a little bit more predictable. We tend to like predictability. Wouldn't be a lot of change. But that's not what life looks like, unfortunately. Um, Change and chaos is a sure thing, really. Um, I was just finishing the book, um, Psychology of Money. And in it, they say... um, stuff that you don't expect stuff you never think will happen happens all the time and that's the case with life in general right um it makes sense that you might stop moving for a little while say you're you have a yoga practice you might not go to yoga or practice yoga as much when you're sick or if you're like going on vacation or um an emergency happens and a parent's in the hospital or uh, you're moving and you have no time time or you had to work late quite a few days and you just like the thing that makes the most sense is you eating and resting rather than you know putting out more energy that you don't have this so the thing I think we get like we get stuck in is that it's like a bad of us for to be flexible with with our movement practice but a movement practice, in my opinion, a movement practice that is not based on diet culture is something that can be pretty, it should be pretty adaptable to what's happening in your life. And it should be supportive, right? It's supportive of everything else we have going on. Um, and if we're, and if it is supportive, then maybe that looks like um, you're on vacation and, you know, you go for a little walk or you like do a stretch um when you're, I don't know, brushing your teeth or whatever, and that's your practice. Um, it's like reframing what your practice looks like, because it's not as simple as we think it is sometimes. It's not as simple as like an hour practice or it's or it doesn't count. Um, so that's part of it. And that I will, we will kind of come back to it, come back to that last section of it. But um, there's nothing morally wrong about not being consistent with your practice, whatever kind of practice it is, like movement wise, it's fine. It's really not a big deal. Um, The other thing that I want to bring your attention to is this idea that um, it's from capitalism, but that productivity equals value. 
And it's not as direct in this type of quote, but it does come up with this area. We think that sometimes it's our belief, whether it's explicit or implicit, is that our practice doesn't count unless it's like an hour long, difficult weightlifting session, for example. Um, it does like, what's the point unless it's really hard? And, um, or what's the point if I'm not going to, you know, go to the gym three days a week? What's the point if I'm not going to do it every, like do yoga every day or whatever? Um, that kind of connects, like ties in with the, like us believing that there's more like a moral value, like moral value in, in the frequency that we move our bodies. Um, that we think, you know, if it's not productive or it's like a failure, again, a failure, if you're not doing yoga every day or whatever, it's, um, it doesn't come up with everybody. It's not the case with everybody, but there are some people where this does connect. You're like, oh shoot, I didn't realize this was another form of me doing that. Same kind of thing. Um, I used to have this belief I think it was like it was implicit I don't think I knew noticed that I was doing it until obviously it was explicit and then I noticed because I'm talking about it now but <laughs> for a long time I had this belief that I if I could give something to somebody that would mean that they would love like that would mean I have value if I can like provide them with comfort or I can give them a gift or I can go above and beyond um at work or whatever that my pro like my value was literally based in my productivity and um that's not the case so similarly your value is not based on how often you're productive in terms of movement also your movement practice is not more or less valuable based on what it looks like if your movement, like your a movement practice, let's use the yoga and weightlifting, for example, say your belief, your implicit belief is that weightlifting is more productive than yoga. Um, that it's, well, that's basically, that's just not the case. <laughs> that's not the case. It's not more valuable to weightlift than it is to do yoga in that example. Um, there is no morally more valuable movement besides one being more supportive for you or more harmful. In that case, obviously it's, it, there is more, um, there will be more value in it being more supportive than harmful. Um, does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Cause it, I'm trying really hard to be focused in this and like explain these points at a time, but it is really connected. And the last part that I wanted to bring your attention to in this phrase is that it makes sense to me that it might be hard for you to be consistent with your practice when we think about movement this is the part that i talk about more often um or at least it feels like i talk about it more often i think about it all the time <laughs> when we think about movement practices often like say yoga when we think about going to yoga or practicing yoga say you go to a studio um we just think about the actual yoga like being in the class so when we think, like when it's hard for us to, to practice, we just think about the literal physical practice. But 
there is a lot more to the practice than there is actually do actually the actual practice and the actual movements <laughs> to be clear um you have to choose an outfit i don't even need to explain this i bet you to most of you choosing an outfit is emotionally loaded in itself choosing an outfit means maybe trying them on means potentially finding clothes that don't fit you anymore um, which might be triggering for um, eating disorder things. It means finding an outfit you're comfortable in or not comfortable in. It means sometimes looking at yourself in the mirror. It means really confronting a lot of past diet culture stuff and eating disorder related stuff. It means... Um, choosing outfits sometimes based on like what you think you'll fit in more like um sometimes it will involve um feelings about your gender identity or how your present your gender your present gender presentation um fits with your gender ident gender identity i'm having a hard time saying the d's in those um words for some reason but there's a lot more than just picking it out out an outfit that's just one part <laughs> of practice okay then you have the financial side of it. Maybe you have to pay to get to class. Maybe you have to pay for the bus to get there. Maybe you have to pay for a babysitter to get to class. Um, and then you have to pay for the actual class. And maybe you have to, you know, rent a yoga mat or maybe you have to buy a yoga mat. And maybe you're in a studio where it feels like you also should buy all the most expensive brands in order to fit in or you're not a real, in quotes, real yoga student. By the way, that's not true. That's just another capitalistic side of, of Western yoga. Uh, you can practice yoga in your pajamas if you want to, but that's a different, you know, that's a different topic. Um, so there's, okay, choosing an outfit, getting there, finances, um, then the actual act of being at the studio. If you have to see other people, you have to, you know, you have to go through the vulnerable process of getting to know a teacher or saying hi to a teacher or trusting that they will hold a space for you that is not going to have shit in it saying like um, turkey burn or um, thing, shit like that. Like, oh, work off the candy or whatever. That's a risk when going to a place for sure. It's also a risk that there will be you walk into a room and it's all very thin bodies or very thin able bodies or often thin able cis white bodies or white women in particular with yoga but um, a particular look in class and it is not diverse or inclusive and the way that the class is taught reflects that maybe the class is taught in a way that's like pressuring you to listen to their instructions first. And that's the priority rather than listening to your body. So there's a sense of shame if you want to pause or rest, or maybe there's, there's so many like things, like maybe there's a risk of, you know, the instructor putting hands on adjustments and that's not comfortable for you, but there's no option to say you don't want them. Or like that's, there's so much more in it. And then also being in a room with people and maybe there's mirrors and maybe, being seen in some poses is tricky or just again the mirror and the outfit part like the tighter clothes is off often more so the 
what people are wearing in um, movement classes. And then you have to factor in your own personal history with these things, with movement, with um, teachers, with going to classes, with being in a room full of people, with the movement practice itself. It's, if you think about all of that, doesn't it not, does it not make sense that you might have a hard time like being consistent? It's a fucking emotional marathon to be, you know, to go to that class. Or even if you're not going to class, like going to in-person class, maybe it's like you've tried to do yoga at your house. Like a lot of those things still apply. Like even if the teacher, you know, if the you aren't in person, a lot of those things still come up. It's not as simple as everything else. Plus, we often think about areas of our life as being separate from one another. Like there's work life and then there's personal life and then there's like my workout life. But you don't stop being a person. <laughs> you don't stop being you through all those things. Like you bring with you if you've had like no sleep lately, that will, you know, that you'll, you might feel that in practice. If you um, have some personal emergency going on, you might feel that in practice. Like it's not as simple as, oh, this is just this thing and it should be easy. Like, no, if you have 500 things going on in your life, like it makes sense. You might be more tired in practice. You know what I mean? Like if you've been having to, do different movements throughout your day or just your your day-to-day looks different, it might reflect in your practice and that makes sense too. So let me give you a couple of examples, okay? One of them is going to be my own. I'll tell a big story for that. And then I'll also give an example of like things, something I've seen as a teacher, which kind of does relate, but not as related. <laughs> so I'm just related to all of this. Um, sorry, I'm getting distracted. I'm like sitting in this um the bedroom that we're staying in and I'm looking out at like this feel a couple of fields and there's one that's further away and I feel like there's a deer in it and I it's so far away I can't see and I don't have like binoculars I just <laughs> there's a screen I just keep like moving my head you can't see <laughs> me but I just keep like trying to see if I can see what it is because maybe it's like a tractor or something and it's just so far away that I can't tell but I swear that's a deer. It's a it's a just a little black speck from here. Anyway, um okay, so story time. I grew up over exercising, not grew up. When I was I would say when I was a teenager. I'll be direct and I'll be I'll be vulnerable with you, okay? Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> when I was a teenager, um well like I started I started yoga when I was like how old were you in grade seven? Uh, grade six. Eleven? I just do the thing where you add five to the grade. Um, but you maybe just heard me whispering to myself how to do seven plus five <laughs> or six plus five. Anyway, I started yoga when I was like uh like eleven or twelve. And it was with my mom who is, you know, as you know, if you've been here for a while, that relationship itself is complicated. Um, 
and it was a yoga for weight loss DVD. Um, and then there was one that was like yoga for dummies, but yoga for weight loss is one that we did. And I learned pretty early on and then obviously gym class and stuff, but I learned pretty early on that the reason that the reason that I practice movement is to lose weight is for how my body looks is what I was, what I learned. I'm not saying this is accurate and that's actually the fact. I'm just saying this is what I learned when I was a kid. So into high school, I did yoga still. I think I did dance, um, which was fun, but it was, I was very wrapped up in eating disorder stuff. I um, had a quite an active job on the weekends. I would um, usually bike or walk there whenever I could, or at least sometimes I would go for runs. I would over-exercise like a lot compulsively almost. Um, I counted calories at this point. My eating disorder was like pretty, like off and on basically really bad most of high school and exercise was um a way of manipulating my body punishing my body making myself smaller and the whole reason to exercise was to make my body smaller as I said or punishment that is that is why I did it that is I didn't even know that there was other things um and I've talked before about how it actually I actually started to feel benefits for my mental health from it um you can probably see hear that about that if you're wanting that side of the story in a different episode um but the message or the thing that I learned was that movement was for weight loss or to make to for my to punish myself and then um I that I started to feel more about the more the mental health sides and when I got a little older, I moved to a different city and I started going to the gym, which was scary. Same thing. It was still to manipulate my body. And I went to yoga and I did find around this time, I started to make a bit of a switch to um, to the mental health side of things. And I tried to focus on that. I was still in um, like eating disorder related troubles. Um, and that was still a, a part of my life then, unfortunately, but I would say it was, be it was becoming like 60, 70% for mental health reasons. But, um, I had, um, at the studio that I went to, there was quite a few of the teachers would go on these detoxes where they wouldn't eat for however long. And they would, um, there's all this talk about clean eating, which is ugh, <laughs> um, a thing I could probably rant about. And there was a lot of pressure on to be vegan and vegetarian. And I probably was vegan then actually too. Um, and there was like, there was diet culture shit everywhere said in class. Um, I don't even know. It was a lot of, um, I can't remember a lot about this. I'm not going to lie, but 
that was diet culture was there a lot and um like i said before the norm was skinny cis able-bodied white folks white women in class and i never really never really felt like i fit in i always felt like i was trying really hard to fit in and not really being myself when i felt like i when i you know would feel like fit in adjacent but um yeah one day i went to a, a studio and was feeling really sick and the teacher told me to do this next posture so I would feel better and it was a back bend and that means it makes can make you a little lightheaded I did not feel better <laughs> I had to run out um which was not fun at all I had some pretty uh, I didn't go back to the studio after that I've had some pretty shitty experiences with um yoga studio and I was trying to work there I was trying to be a teacher and I was told um a couple of times that I wasn't the right fit for a yoga studio I wasn't happy enough um I wasn't they didn't say this directly that was like they said they were looking for someone who was more chipper (laughs) um and extroverted basically um and I felt like partly it was, it felt like partly my body shape was part of the reason I wasn't, I felt like I was never going to be a, a taken seriously as a teacher. If I, if, when I became a teacher, if based on my body, um, I wasn't a teacher at this point, but that's like a, the thing I had believed. Um, and I thought I would never be a teacher if I struggled with mental health stuff. Like I got this message um, from the stuff around me. So, um, I ran a little off and on then, but that I don't really, you know, that wasn't really anything, anything like it was when I was a teenager anyway. Then when I, um, moved back to Kingston, I went back to the gym and found a studio. I was working, I started to work with jill murphy who we've had on this podcast a couple of times i think i've mentioned her probably at least 20 times um and then she was offering her offerings were something something about um like like essentially was the first time i was exposed to anti-diet um anti-diet way of eating and living (laughs) and it was the first she was the person who basically taught me that taught me and sent me along this path of the diet culture is bullshit basically (laughs) and that um our health has nothing to do with our weight and I um I started to I did all this work with her and I started to pick out pick apart the how diet culture was in in um was influencing my movement practice I had some not great experiences at that studio and um I did go to training I went to a few trainings um most of all of that is fairly positive mostly um but all of this to say that like if you look at that history to me, it makes sense that I might struggle with movement sometimes. Like I struggled with trying to run again because I thought it was fun. I hate it sometimes, but I like it sometimes. But 
when I start, sometimes when I want to run, I, it like the part of me that we ran when I was a teenager, I'm reminded of that part of that version of me. I'm reminded when I want to lift weights, I'm reminded every time of the version of me that did that. Um, and what I was feeling then, like when I was, a, you know, living in the other city, living in, it was Guelph at the time. When I go to studios, I'm reminded of all of the times I was bullied, told I wasn't the right fit for a studio, all of the, the time I felt like I didn't fit in because I was queer, because of my head mental health um, disorders, I guess, and trauma and feelings. <laughs> and I didn't fit in because of my body. Like, I'm reminded of that every, like, every time because it was a thing that I grew up with. And whenever I move my body, not as much anymore, but I used to have to challenge all of the thoughts that would come up because I learned that movement was for weight loss. So instead, like, you know, when you're approaching movement as a, it's for weight loss versus approaching it as like, it's to support my body, different thoughts come up, right? If you're doing it for weight loss, you're like, okay, I have to do more sets of these things. I have to do it harder. You know, I have to do this, whether or not it feels good. But if you're approaching it from like for support, it's like, okay, dial it back. If you want to dial it back, how does this feel right now? Am I breathing still? Um, what would feel good right now? It's okay if this is just 30 seconds. That's a different different approaches and it's not like you just decide to leave diet culture and you're like wow everything's cured i'm never going to have a diet culture thought again <laughs> i wish um when you do those movements like you know go back into movement it that other shit comes up whether or not you are no like you notice it it might be in the back of your head and you're just like trying to remind yourself this is for this you're doing this for different reasons Okay, that's the me. That's my story with movement. I probably could go into more detail, but that's like enough so that you get the point. I hope. Um, and that's. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about like my personal story because when you hear it like that, it's someone else's experience. Like I feel like sometimes it's easier to be like, oh yeah, it's not just about like Billy going to yoga. Like it also might. Um, Billy might have a hard time going to yoga sometimes because of all these things. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be like that forever. Um, you know, once I started to acknowledge that these things were happening, I acknowledged what I had gone through. I could process it. Um, and when I had support, it was easier to separate those things. Movement was less about, um, less as a punishment, less about weight loss, less about all of that stuff and more about how to support me. And suddenly, you know, I'm understanding if I haven't moved my body the same way in the last month, because I understand that currently I've been moving and I'm moving my body when I'm literally moving all of the boxes and stuff like that. And I just don't have the energy at the end of the day to do like a workout, even though I do love working out now. And I'm not, I don't feel like guilty about it. I mean, it's, I still have to sometimes go through the processes of like healing and reminding myself that it's okay. And like those things still happen. They still come up. Those feelings still come up, but it's way less and it's way easier for me to control, like to not control it, but to like, to navigate it. My ability to uh, navigate it has 
developed. Um, and I forgot the other thing I was going to say. Um, oh yeah. And now suddenly also I'm in practice, like what feels good right now? Like how, how does this movement feel? How could I, what could I do to make this feel better? Do I want to do a little bit more? Or do I want to do a little bit less? Um, and it's something like I'm stressed. Hey, maybe I could go for a walk. Maybe that'd be helpful. It's like the thoughts around movement are way more often supportive thoughts like those than it used to be. Um, so it does get easier. And I had a lot of support to do that, which is why I say, if you like this stuff, go through those four episodes or just send me an email now, if you want to, um, about one-on-one -on -one coaching, because I can help support you in that process as someone who's done it and been there. Um, the other story I want to tell you is a little bit kind of an example of how our lives might still come up in our practice and affect it more than we think. So I was working in a yoga studio, as I said, when I was living in Kingston um, for a while. And I, one thing would happen every single winter, right around, so I live somewhere where there's snow and ice. So right around the time that there's been a little bit more snow, maybe it's sometimes like big snowfalls, or there's been a bit more ice for a bit. A lot of people really struggle with balance. I saw it all the time. Every single year it would happen. Every single time there was a big snowfall. And in the um in Kingston, there wasn't always like a sidewalk plow didn't come right away. So there'd be often be like a lot of snow or walking would be just a little bit harder. If you haven't walked on snow before, it's kind of like you know, if you walk on sand, like just a little bit of extra effort is needed to walk on it. And then obviously it's a little bit more slippery. <laughs> um so Every time that would happen, I would see people struggling with balance. And often I'd be like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just can't seem to balance lately. And <laughs> I was like, oh, I wonder if it's because when we're trying to walk on snow and ice, the muscles in our legs and our feet and our ankles are working way differently because it wouldn't keep happening. It'd be like, you know, snow would happen and ice would happen and then we'd get used to it. Um, and then if there was another big snowstorm, it might happen a little bit then, but it makes so much sense. I can't say obviously that this is a fact, like, I haven't like studied it in, in, intensively, but it was a theme I saw every single year, every single time it snowed for years. And I would, I started to say like, I wonder if it's because it's been more snowy or icy and people would stop and think about it and be like, you know what? That is what it is. Um, cause you're getting used to wearing heavier shoes. You're sliding a little bit. You're walking, like you're walking through sand. Like have you ever gone to the beach and you're walking in sand and then the next day you're like, you feel that. Does it not make sense that that might have an impact on your balance? Because your muscles are used slightly differently. They're a little bit more tired in different ways. If that can happen with walking in snow, like, just think about the other ways that how our, your life might be affecting your practice. Like, if you haven't slept, it makes sense you might have trouble balancing. It makes sense you might have, you know, not be able to, you know, hold a pose as long as you want to or do an extra set of, like, squats or whatever. Like, your life connects to your practice, and that's fine and okay. And it's okay if it, it does that. Like, it's okay if you need to make adjustments for your life, right? Let me know how this episode felt for you. 
Um, as I said, it's not a new topic, but it is a topic that I haven't like focused, zeroed in on quite this way. So I would love to hear from you if it was helpful. If you really liked this episode, if you could take a second, send a screenshot, or take a screenshot and post it in your stories. Um, let And, you know, tag me, let me know how you liked it. Send me a message. I love getting messages from you. Um, if you have requests for episodes, if you'd like to be on in an episode, send me an email, info at movewithbilly.com. And if you could take a second to follow, subscribe and like, and or whatever all those things are for podcasts, that'd be great. Um, I think that's everything. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs>